Good morning, everyone. If you would, please grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 22 and read to the end of the chapter. Ephesians 4:22. The Bible reads, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Amen. Good morning. Did you know that next Sunday is one of our favorite Sundays in the whole year? I mean, we look forward to it. It's a great Sunday. Did you know that? You know, next Sunday is the Sunday that we get to move our clocks ahead an hour. And uh, it's not that we're going to lose sleep, but we're going to get more sunlight, I guess. So just wanted to mention that so that uh, we'll all be together at time. We pray for God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word this morning. And I'd like you to have Ephesians 4 in your minds as... We study this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 25. Please turn there. 1 Samuel 25. We all have moments when we get angry, don't we? Hopefully we can control our anger and get past it before we say or do something that we're sorry for. Before we sin. But there are those moments when we don't control it and instead it controls us. And we say something or do something that we shouldn't. We always seem to remember those moments, don't we? Always seem to remember what happened on those occasions, even though we would rather not. Well, in our effort to control our anger, it may help us to know that such spiritual giants as David also had a problem with his anger. This morning I want us to look at just such an event in his life. It's found in 1 Samuel 25. But the hero of our passage, the hero of this account, is not David. The hero is a person that God uses to stop David from doing, from making a big mistake in his anger. 
And the hero of our account is a woman named Abigail. Our story is set in the years just before David before became king. Saul has made himself David's enemy and he is seeking David to kill him. David has fled to the hill country of Judah to escape the king. And he finds that the life of a wanted man is not an easy life. While David is fleeing from Saul, David's spiritual advisor, Samuel, dies. And so for a number of reasons, this is a very difficult time in the life of David. The one the Bible describes as the man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 14 tells us that Saul searched and searched for David day after day, but God did not give him into his hands. Which brings us to the account of a conflict between David and a man named Nabal. And as we begin here, look at verses 1 through 13. If you look at your Bible maps for a moment and you find the Dead Sea, and you look at the middle of the western shore, you might just find the name En Gedi. En Gedi even today is a beautiful place. There's a lot of water there. There is fresh water and hot springs. It is a beautiful oasis, and it has been for centuries. David and his people had been living there. David really knew how to find a great place to hide out, and En Gedi would have been. But circumstances changed, and David needed to find another place to hide. And when he leaves En Gedi, he goes to the wilderness of Paran, and he settles in a place called Maon in south-central Judah. Now, living at Maon, there is a man of great wealth, and his name is Nabal. His wealth includes a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. It's springtime when these events take place, and Nabal's shepherds have brought the sheep down from the hills to be sheared. Nabal is married to a woman named Abigail, and if there was ever a husband and wife who were truly the opposite of each other, it was Nabal and Abigail. She was discerning, she was capable, she was understanding, she was beautiful, and he was stupid. And he was mean and harsh and badly behaved. He was dishonest. Verse 3. Now David is living in these hills and he learns that Nabal is nearby. And on learning where Nabal is, David selects ten of his young men and sends them to Nabal with the message that we find in verses 6 through 8. Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So the ten young men go. They go with this message. 
They go not having stolen any of Nabal's sheep or goats. They have not harassed Nabal's shepherds. And the shepherds could tell Nabal that. But shearing time is festival time, and David is in need of provisions, and so they're to ask for them. So they arrive at Nabal's camp, and immediately Nabal lives up to his name. He rudely leaves David's men waiting outside before he answers them. And when the answer is finally given, it is not a good answer. If there was anyone who needed lessons in diplomacy and tact, it was Nabal. And he gives this kindly answer to David's request in verse 10. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take bread, my bread and water and meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? He ignores the respect that David has already shown him. He ignores the help that David has already provided. And we're going to learn about that in the next section. He doesn't bother to ask his servants about the things that these people are saying about David. He knows everything. You ever known somebody like that? They knew, he knows everything. All there is to know. And he knows there are a lot of servants running away from their masters and David is just one of those. Every word drips with contempt and no, he will not share his food with David and his men. Now, that may not sound like much to us. We may not perceive too much wrong with that. He could have been kinder, but we might not think of this as David did. But to refuse food and to refuse hospitality, especially when somebody has rendered you great help, is a serious, serious matter. Had Nabal had come and slapped David in the face and spit on him, that would not have been as great an offense as refusing this request for provision. And that's exactly how David takes it. Look at verse 12 and 13. Put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with their supplies. He doesn't talk a lot about it. He doesn't stand and roar and yell and scream about it. He just says, get your swords. This is an insult that can only be justified or settled with the sword. See, anger has a way of taking us over. Anger has a way of getting things out of proportion and robbing us of our capacity to make good judgments and wise choices. Everything is worse when we get angry, and that is what we see in David. Well, before everything explodes and goes up in smoke, Abigail intervenes. Look at verse 14 to 22. David's men are returning to their camp and one of Nabal's servants goes and finds Abigail. Nabal may not have cared about the consequences of his insult, but everyone else understood what a dangerous situation this was and what a great harm has been done. And so the servant tells Abigail, beginning in verse 14, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. 
Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us at all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. See, David wasn't asking for charity. He wasn't asking for a favor when he asked for provisions. He'd already been working in Nabal's behalf. He had provided his shepherds with protection. It was his men who had risked their lives to make sure that marauders didn't bother the flocks of Nabal. To make sure that they didn't attack the shepherds of Nabal. They did all of that without even stealing a sheep. And the servant encourages Abigail in verse 17 to do something about this and she can't even talk to Nabal. Now we begin to see Abigail's wisdom and resourcefulness because she does understand the terrible threat that her family is under. She gathers up a very large quantity of food, 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five bushels of cooked grain, and large quantities of raisins and figs. Do you have that in your pantry today? I read that list and I'm I'm kind of amazed, but she has it ready. And she packs it up and she sends it off with the servants. She does all of this, by the way, verse 19, without saying a word to Nabal. She knows her husband. She knows what kind of a man he was. And so with the provisions on the way, Abigail goes in search of David. She rides her donkey up into the hills. She starts up a mountain ravine, and as she does, here comes David and his 400 men. She's not frightened. She's not intimidated. She just keeps climbing the ravine until she can meet an angry David. She doesn't know just how angry David really is. She doesn't really know the danger that she's riding into or that is riding down on her family. But the writer lets us know just how angry David is. Look at verse 21 and 22. It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert, so that nothing of his was missing. And he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. He is so angry that his request has been refused that he curses himself. Not only is he going to kill everybody, but if he doesn't do that, he wants Dave, he wants God to punish him if he doesn't accomplish his goal. Have you ever been that angry? Have you ever been so angry that you wanted to strike out and hit someone? Did you ever promise to get revenge for an insult? To find some way to avenge what's been done. David is taking action, but he is not thinking about the consequences. He has been insulted, but now all that matters is his revenge. I wonder what went through Abigail's mind as she approached him and saw the anger 
in his face. Well, she comes to the rescue in verse 23 to 35, but not the rescue that we might expect. She sees David approach it. She gets off of her donkey. And even though her social standing, even though her rank is higher than David's, she gets off the donkey and she bows down and shows him respect. In fact, her, her actions and words are something of an exaggeration. They go beyond what this situation requires. Perhaps we should say her husband isn't the only Nabal that she understands. Bowing at David's feet, verse 24, she asks for permission to speak. Her social standing does not make that necessary, but she understands what she's dealing with, so she asks. And she pleads with David, and she just tells him, my husband is a fool. Foolishness is written all over him. Even his name Nabal means fool. And he is not worth paying attention to. And she lets David know that if his men had come to her, none of this would happen. And you know, I've read that several times and I just can't help but wonder, is there a little stick there? Is Abigail kind of telling David that some of this is his fault? You know, if you had just come and talked to me, we wouldn't have this problem. Now, who is Abigail trying to rescue? Verse 26 to 31. Well, she's not trying to save Nabal. She's trying to save David. She doesn't want David to suffer the consequences of his anger. Notice verse 26. She very subtly suggests that God has already intervened and stopped David from shedding blood. The Lord has already used her to stop David from getting his vengeance. She shows her support for David by wishing that God would make all of David's enemies like Nabal. And she pleads that David will accept her blessings, this gift of food that she has brought with her. And then she gets David to think about the big picture. She tells David that the insult of a fool is nothing, nothing, nothing compared to what God has promised him, a kingdom and a dynasty, verse 28. David is already God's man. When David goes into battle, he is fighting for the Lord. And Abigail does not want David to tarnish himself or his name by doing wrong. And that's exactly what would happen if he took his vengeance on Nabal, verse 29. She knows David is going to rule all of Israel someday, and she wants him to come to the throne with a clear conscience, without blood on his hands, without usurping God's authority to avenge evil and to direct David's life. The only thing she asks for herself is that David remember her when he comes into his kingdom. Abigail is a special woman. She's wise. She keeps her head in a crisis. She knows what to do when all the men are going Nabal. She is a woman of faith. And in her wisdom and faith, she rescues David from making a big mistake. She delivers him from being a Nabal. Finally, David comes to his senses. He finally sees what's really going on here and what is at stake. 
And like someone who has just woken up, someone who has just come to his senses, he tells Abigail this in verse 32. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. Oh, he thanks. He, he realized what she's done for him. And she, he thanks God for her. For this tremendous service. Her good judgment has kept him from sin. Centuries later, James would write an appropriate comment on our passage. It's found in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You cannot do God's work in anger. And surely that is the lesson that Abigail has taught David. His anger cools and he takes her advice, verse 35. Which almost brings us to the end, but there's still a Nabal at home that Abigail has to deal with. Look at verse 36 to 42. She heads home and when she and the servants get there, guess what's going on? There's a party going on. Nabal is throwing a feast. He's eating like a king, which is kind of ironic, a fool eating like a king. And not only is he eating, but he's drinking and he's drunk. He obviously has no clue as to what is going on. He obviously has no clue about the danger that he has been in. And Abigail, in her wisdom, doesn't stand there and argue with him. She doesn't stand there and rebuke him for eating up all the food that was left or drinking all the wine. She just leaves him to his party. But the next day, Nabal learns the truth, verse 37 and 38. And when Abigail tells him what happened, the Bible says he turned into a stone. He died. God struck him down ten days later. David recognized God's hand in all of this. He praises God for intervening, both to prevent his sin and to avenge Nabal's wrongs. Look at verse 39, the end of our story. Praise be to God who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept me from doing wrong and brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent you sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, Here is your maidservant ready to serve you and wash the feet of my master's servants. And she went with them and she became David's wife. Now clearly this account provides 
an object lesson on the danger of uncontrolled anger and its consequences. David was ready to throw everything away. He was ready to spoil everything that God had been doing for him just to pay back this fool who had insulted him. In his anger, he forgot God. In his anger, he forgot that God was his provider and protector. That God had chosen him to advance his plan of salvation. No, David's anger certainly was not doing God's work. In fact, it was hurting it. It wasn't consistent with the righteous kind of life that God wanted for David. And when we let our anger go uncontrolled, it too hurts God's work and his plans for us. This lesson about anger and the consequences of anger is important for us to learn. Next time your anger nearly gets out of control, remember Nabal and Abigail and David. May God grant all of us the wisdom of an Abigail. But there's one more thing that stands out in this story that I wouldn't want us to finish without making sure we think about. And that is the person in the character of Abigail. Her significance isn't in her beauty or in her intelligence, although she had both of them. But the way she has given everything to God and to his service She is important in God's work with David. David learns a whole lot about controlling his anger. And as a king, he's going to need to do that many times over. He's going to have great responsibilities and face great changes that will clearly require clear thinking and a willingness to depend on God. And he has just learned the lesson of all of that. Abigail helps David become a better king than he would have been as he ruled God's people. And surely she stands with Sarah and with Rachel and with Deborah and Hannah and Jael and Huldah and Esther and Elizabeth and Mary and Mary Magdalene and Dorcas and Lydia as great servants of God. Women whose lives and actions and faith honored him and honored his work on earth. God has blessed us as a congregation with women of like faith, with women of like wisdom, women whose names justly belong in that same list, whose intelligence and love and service make all of the difference to the kind of congregation that we are. God certainly assigned the role of leadership in the church to men, but we men cannot lead the church as God would have us without the wisdom and the insight of the women in the congregation. Without the example of their faith, without their wisdom and understanding, we're just Nabals. Our ladies are important. So as David thanked God for Abigail, so we thank God for each and every one of our sisters in Christ Jesus. You mean so very much to our life together as God's people. And we salute you and we thank God for you. And we ask that he will bless you richly. We're going to finish now with a song of encouragement. There may be someone in need of prayer this morning and maybe someone needing to do God's will. And if you do in any way, please come and let us know so we can be of service. Come while we stand and sing.